Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Becca Bruner. Well, good morning once again, and welcome everybody, and happy Mother's Day to, uh, to our moms, people who are moms, people who have moms, uh, to anyone who have experienced being loved uh, by a mother or a spiritual mother, a person in faith who has mentored you. Uh, we celebrate each and every one of you today. We also remember today that call in Scripture to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And so before I begin the message today, I want us to live out that scriptural call together. I've shared this with you before. I'll probably share it with you every year because it's worth sharing. To those who gave birth this year to your first child, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day who wear the badge of uh, food stains, at least we hope it's food, we appreciate you. To those who experienced loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, and running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes, prods, tears, and disappointment, we walk with you. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who lived through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way that you longed for it to be. To those who step-parent, we walk with you on that complex path. To those who have emptier nests this last year or in this upcoming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. To those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. On this Mother's Day and every day, may we be a people who faithfully live out Jesus' call to love as we have been loved, to serve as we have been served, to rejoice with those who are rejoicing, to mourn with those who mourn, to bear one another's burdens as if they were our own, and to know that we have a Savior who gives us the strength for all of it. Amen. Well, I want to start out today's message with a story. And uh, I just want to start out as I tell you this story right from the outset. I just want to remind you that you like me. 
Can we just all agree on this, that now who I am today in 2021, you like this person? Uh, because I, I just need you to hold on to that because you might not like the person from 2001 who I was, who I'm telling you this story about. So to, to just set up the story, I, I want to tell you about how it, it was winter 2001, my junior year of college, my parents got me a car. And they got me a car that I really, really loved. It was, uh, it was a, a, a Honda Civic, it was two-door, uh, it was a manual transmission, which I felt really good about that I knew how to drive, especially like the hills of Seattle. I could drive it all over those hills. I could parallel park it on those hills. It was like this little emerald green, almost sports car, and I loved it. I loved this car. I loved it so much that even I remember I brought it to school winter that year. I parallel parked it around my college campus somewhere, and somebody parking next to it kind of dinged it. Like, they couldn't parallel park as well as I could. Uh, and so they, they, they scratched it a little bit. And I went on this, like, vigilante mission to try to find out who it was, like, call in security to be like, do you have any footage of uh, Dravis Hall uh, Thursday at 9 p.m.? Like, no, they didn't. I never found out. But I loved this car. Uh, and, and that vigilante mission to try to figure out who scratched it and get it fixed turned out to be totally in vain because a few short months later, I drove that beautiful car on a road trip. I went from uh, Portland. Uh, the intention was to go all the way smoothly from Portland down to Arizona because I was working in Scottsdale that summer at a church doing youth ministry. Uh, but I did one day of that road trip, and I stopped to stay overnight in this little podunk town of Red Bluff, California. And while I was there, I got uh, uh, um, hit. I got rear-ended so badly that it actually completely totaled the car, just crumpled the floor of the car. It was done. And so uh, while I was there, my parents uh, had to drive down to help me. I was there on my own, and they drove eight hours down from Portland to come meet me in Red Bluff. And what we ended up just doing is we switched cars. I took my mom's little Corolla, kept doing the drive down to Arizona. They kind of patched up my car as good as they could to get it back up to Portland to deal with insurance and, and figure the whole thing out. So fast forward to the end of summer. I came back from my 12 weeks in Arizona where I'd spent my time teaching middle and high school students how to love and follow Jesus. And I, I came home and I saw the replacement car that my parents got me. And in the place of that beautiful green, almost sports car, they got me this 1995 Ford Escort hatchback with a spoiler because hatchbacks need spoilers. And it, the best part of this car, the worst part of this car is that it was magenta. Like it wasn't red. That would have been fine. It wasn't burgundy. That would have been okay. It was like a mixture of pink and red and purple, kind of make your retinas bleed magenta. Now, before I get to this next part of the story, again, I want to remind you that you like me and I've grown since then. Like, I want you to know I'm here in the future now with you also. I can look back and see how things went awry. I'm here now, but I wasn't then. Because I can recognize that, that my parents bought me one car. Then my parents rescued me when that one car got totaled. And then they bought me a second car, all without any help from me. I see it. I get it now. But back in September 2001, I didn't get it. 
September 2001, ring any bells for anybody? Kind of an important date in our nation's uh, history. I remember, as you all do probably, the moment when you turned on the TV and you saw what was going on in New York City, September 11th, 2001, just seeing the, all of that unfolding. And, and I went, probably as many as of you did, I went to church that afternoon with just the entire community gathered together, praying and seeking God uh, in this, this tragic event that was unfolding. And I remember driving home from that church service with my mom, who was literally still like wiping away tears. And I was thinking to myself, you know, this would be a great time to tell my mom how much I hate this car and see if she can get me a new one. I literally did that. I don't know how she didn't throw me out of that moving car. It was September 11th. Thousands of people have just lost their lives. An entire country is in shock. And all I can think about is how I can convince my parents to get me a different car. Because I had a sickness. And if I'm honest, I still have that sickness. And if we're all really honest, we're going to have to admit that we all have it. Now, before I tell you what that sickness is, which I will, I want to remind you, especially people who are just jumping in uh, this week, we are in a series. We're in a series called How. And we're trying to uh, give you the tools, the tools that we have at our disposal to experience God in our everyday lives. For these last two weeks, we've talked about two uh, different spiritual disciplines that are kind of more the inward disciplines, the things that we do on our own, in which we're kind of more contemplative. We've talked two weeks ago about scripture study and meditation, and last week we talked about prayer. Today and next week, these two weeks, we're going to talk about two more outward-focused disciplines, more active disciplines. Today it's going to be the, the disciplines of simplicity and service, and next week we're going to talk about evangelism. So I just told you that we all have a sickness, which I know is very, very nice of me. Uh, but my goal today is not to, to point fingers at the problem, but what I want to do is offer what I think is a pretty remarkable solution. So what is this sickness, and, and do you really have it? Well, I have a little uh, diagnostic we can do together. I want you to think back, think back to pre-COVID times, and I'm going to paint a picture of a typical, what could be a typical day, and see how you do on this day. See if you have any of the symptoms of this sickness. I want you to imagine the morning commute. Remember when that existed, right? And imagine that you are commuting for some reason. You're driving on the, the Pennsylvania Turnpike, and you approach the toll plaza, right? Like multiple, multiple lanes of traffic all, you know, coming together into like one or two very congested lanes, you know, where you have to get in and you pay your toll. You're approaching this situation. And do you either A, step on the gas and maneuver your way around the cars just to make sure you're that first person in line? Or B, do you get really, really annoyed and incensed at the other person who did that and just got in front of you and in your rightful place in that line? Again, you make it through your, your commute and you get to the office and, and there's a staff meeting, 11 a.m., say. And in the room where this meeting takes place, there are two really comfortable chairs, uh, two, two or three less than ideal, but okay chairs, and two chairs that are just like really, really uncomfortable. Nobody wants to sit in those chairs. 
So I wonder, what time do you show up for that meeting? How early? And when you do, which, which chair do you choose? Well, the day goes on, you're working really hard. Let's say it's a Friday, right? You're working hard, you're, the weekend is in sight, you just gotta finish up a few more details and like you can shut down your computer, you're out of there. As, as you're working, a coworker approaches. And they, you can tell there's something on their mind, something they need to talk about. And maybe, maybe they know you're a Christian, maybe they know that you're, you're the kind of person that would listen and pray, but you know you've got this project that is almost done and you could get out of there, the weekend is in sight. How do you respond? Well, you get home from work, and you see there is a sink full of dirty dishes. And it is not your job this week to do the dishes. It's your, your husband's job, your wife's job, it's your roommate's job, it's the kid's job. It's just the point is it's not your job, and yet there that sink sits full of dirty dishes. How do you feel? So just thinking through a day like this, I just want you to just kind of think, how are you, you feeling? Like, just noticing yourself. Like, what, how do you feel about a day like this? How do you feel about yourself on a day like this? The reality is that, that there is something that just lies beneath the surface for all of us on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis. The truth is we are all sick. We have all been contaminated with the sickness of Self, of selfishness, of self-centeredness, self-importance, self-seeking, however you want to label it, we have all got it. We are all sick, even those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. We just can't help it. Jesus' own disciples had this sickness, and we heard it loud and clear in that message from Mark today. Mark tells us that Jesus and his disciples, they're on their way to Jerusalem, and Jesus tells them he's going to suffer and he's going to die. He wants them to be prepared for this, to understand all that's about to happen, what he is about to do for them. And and in that moment, he tells them, he says, I am going to suffer. I'm going to die. Three days later, I'm going to rise again. This is a really big deal. So you'd think that this news would pull the disciples out of themselves for a minute, right? That that they'd have some concern. They'd maybe have some compassion. At the very least, they'd have some questions for Jesus. But immediately after Jesus says this, right after he says, hey, all this terrible stuff's gonna happen to me, James and John, they respond, oh, yeah, 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 Jesus, great, cool. I mean, you're gonna suffer, die, I get it. But enough about you. Can we talk about us here for a second? And they make this absolutely absurd request. They say, Jesus, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. Just imagine this. You know, Jesus, sorry, sorry about all that suffering stuff, but but what we're thinking about is is later when you become king. And when that happens, when you're king, what we really want you to do is to put us in the positions of power. We want the world to know it's all about us. And, and it's easy to kind of demonize James and John here, but the other disciples, they're no better. They, it says, you know, that they were incensed at their words. It wasn't because they were mad. They're like, mm, that was really rude of you guys. They were like, no, 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 why'd you get to it first? Like, we want those seats too, Jesus. They were outraged, not because of their co-disciples' selfish behavior, but because they were jealous. They wanted to be the center of the universe too, and it's because they were sick. Just like you and me, they have this sickness of self. 
And here's why this sickness is a really bad thing. The sickness of self, it is self-defeating, it is self-perpetuating, and it is self-degenerating. It's self-defeating. Listen, nobody, I know, nobody walks into a day and thinks, you know what, I'd really like to be a selfish jerk today. That sounds fun, right? None of us want that. For the most part, we want to be liked by people. We want to connect with people. We don't, we don't want to be stuck inside ourselves, but sometimes we can't help it. And when we do, the, we get the opposite of what we want. People don't like us. People don't want to be around us. I mean, think about it. Who would you rather be around? A selfish person or a giving person? What kind of boss would you rather work for? What, what, what kind of roommate would you rather have? What kind of kids do you want to raise? The sickness of self is self-defeating because at our deepest heart levels, all we want is to be accepted and to be loved, but the sickness of self keeps that from happening. It's self-defeating and it's self-perpetuating. It's more than a habit, it's an addiction. The more we choose to put ourselves at the center, the more we want to stay at the center. We choose ourselves over and over again until it's not really a choice anymore. It's something we do just without even thinking. It becomes kind of who we are. And it's self-degenerating. In the Lord of the Rings trilogy, J.R. Tolkien masterfully portrays what happens to a human soul when over time it sinks into itself. You see this in the character Smeagol. He starts out as a normal, happy hobbit, but then he gets the ring of power, and over time he descends into darkness. He becomes Gollum, deformed in both body and mind as he clings desperately to the one thing that keeps him enslaved. Over time, the sickness of self robs us of the beauty and the goodness that God implanted in each one of us. And it just leads us to potentially become the just sad and lonely, twisted versions of who God created us to be. It's a pretty grim picture. I don't know about you, but that's not who I want to be. I don't want to be sick. I don't want to be obsessed with myself. And while I do have my days, my moments that are better than others, I know that for the most part, I am. I am kind of stuck on myself. So what do I do? Well, as luck would have it, Jesus has a solution. Jesus offers the antidote to his insensitive, self-sick disciples. He says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be the first among you must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There is a remedy for the sickness of self to cure us from the self-defeating, self-perpetuating, self-degenerating sickness of self. Jesus calls us to simplicity, service, and surrender. Jesus calls us to simplicity. In this context, I would define simplicity as the practice of creating space and releasing resources for the sake of someone else. Creating space and releasing resources for the sake of someone else. 
I don't know if any of you, or I hope many of you, in fact, are using uh, this devotional that we've put out both in paper and online, taking us through the practices of this sermon series week by week. But uh, if you haven't noticed yet, there's an author on the back. That's my friend, a dear friend, uh, Laura Weber. She and I became friends when we worked at a Christian camp during our summers in college. Uh, but she is somebody I'm, I'm really just in awe of. And in, in the devotional this week, she tells some of her story. She tells the story of her own uh, family, she and her husband, their sense of call and their acceptance of that call to adopt their kids out of foster care. Uh, Laura and her husband, Casey, they now have three children that they've adopted, but uh, there's a whole journey that got them there. There's, the, the, there's just that sense that they had, even before they had any idea who their kids were or, or when they would meet them, they, they got a sense that it, it was time to start creating space and releasing resources to be ready. And so that's what they did. They started setting aside money, money that they'd normally spend on themselves for these kids that they may have someday. They, they started even preparing their home, kind of making rooms and, and spaces in their home for the kids that would one day be theirs. They changed the way they lived. Laura quit her job even so that she could be ready for whenever the day that those kids came, that she could create a space in their home to help them feel safe and secure. They simplified. Listen, I, I, the reality is a lot of it, a lot of us say this a lot of times. We, we think about serving others. We, we want to serve others. But then we look at our calendar and we think, oh, gosh, I, so, I, you know, this week's really, really busy. So uh, maybe next week. Next week I'll serve. But this, uh, this week's real full. Or we, we look at our bank account and say, oh, I want to give resources away. But th- this month it's tight. Uh, maybe next month. You know, we just we say someday. I want to serve someday. But Reality is, unless we're intentional about it, someday becomes no day. Someday doesn't get here by itself. It takes an intentional choice. An intentional choice to create space and to release resources for the sake of someone else. So the first step in being set free from that sickness to self is to engage in the practice of simplicity. And the next step is is to serve. It's to actually serve. And there are so many ways that you can do this. First is what you might call the ministry of the mundane. Right? Jesus says, whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first must be slave of all. You know, when Jesus said to be slave of all, I think he meant all. So that means in your day, in your week, in your life, there are myriad of opportunities to serve. It could be, it could be a colleague who's asking for, for help with a project at work. It could be somebody whose car stalls on the highway who's left there waiting for help. It could be, you know, when you go to the grocery store on a bad weather day and, and carts are just strewn all over the parking lot for someone to put away. You could be that someone on that given day. This ministry of the mundane, it can happen at home. You know, uh, I can think of the times in the middle of the night when one of our children cries out for help and, and 
you know, the temptation is to, to just kind of pretend like I'm really, really sleeping really, really heavily. I, 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 don't, I can't, can't hear them. And until I hear Dave get up out of bed, then, then I wake up and I, I say, oh, 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 do you need my help? And of course he's going to say, no, he doesn't need my help. But then I get credit. I get credit for wanting to help, but I also get to stay asleep in my bed. So in the ministry of the mundane, I could get up and take care of my child, and instead of being resentful that she's awake, I could be grateful that she's alive. Ministry of the mundane can even be a little fun. You could turn it into a little competition. Another thing Dave and I do, we've always kind of had this as a part of our, our marriage. We talk about wanting to out-serve each other. We want to beat each other in the, the service in our marriage, and so we'll do this. Like, if, if it's Dave's job to take out the trash and I do it, or if it's my job to do the dishes and he does it, we'll just sometimes slyly look at each other and we'll just say, you know what, I am winning this marriage right now. <laughs> so if you want to win in your marriage, in your family, in life, you could serve in the ministry of the mundane. Second thing you might consider would be uh, what I would call secret servanthood. I don't know if any of you ever watched the show Friends, but I remembered this week an episode where Phoebe and Joey got into this argument with each other about whether or not there is ever a truly selfless act a person can perform, right? Is anything ever selfless fully? And it's a good question, because if I'm 100% honest with myself, sometimes my acts of selfless service are actually quite self-serving indeed. You know, I, I'll be honest, I like getting credit for my service. I enjoy how good it makes me look. I, I serve, but not without making sure that at least somebody takes notice. I humble myself, but not without ensuring that I get proper credit and praise and acknowledgement for how truly humble and giving and, and loving I am. So it does a great deal of good to our souls to serve, but to do it in secret. Don't, don't, let, don't let anybody know. Some of you do this so well. I love it. It happens so often when I show up on a random Tuesday morning for work and I see that front porch just overflowing with food for our food pantry. Somebody just showed up in the middle of the night and, and unloaded it there. Nobody knows you did it. But you knew that there was a need. You didn't need credit. You just wanted to give. And that's just one example. So many of you serve in so many ways, big and small, every single day. You don't do it for credit. You serve because you know that you have been served. Which leads to the final step in our journey. If we want to be healed from the sickness of self, we would do well to simplify. It really helps to serve. But ultimately, if we want to be fully healed, we're going to have to surrender. To recognize that the power to be healed doesn't actually lie in our own hands. You know, there's a lot of people out there, maybe some people in here who've somehow gotten the message that the thing that God wants most from us is that we do good. That what God really wants is that we be good. That, that God's ultimate desire is that we would be nice, we'd take care of everyone, and, and if we do that, if we do that really well, then, then God will accept us. But here's the thing. You can try to do that. You could jump into this week and you can do your best to, to carve out time, to set aside resources to benefit others. You could work all day long to do acts of service for all the people around you. But if you're doing this on your own, if you're doing this by your own strength, eventually it's going to get really hard. 
And eventually, it's likely that you're going to fail. The life of simplicity and service that Jesus calls us to, he doesn't call us to do it on our own. The thing that Jesus calls us to over and over again is to surrender. Surrender to his power. Surrender to his love. Surrender to the reality that Jesus came to serve us. That's what we learn in that beautiful passage from Philippians 2. We're told that Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself. Taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Friends, the best way to serve others is to start from that knowledge that we have been served. The true path to wholly loving others is to accept that we are deeply loved. And the very best healing for the sickness of self is to surrender to the one who knows you're sick, who loves you anyway, and who alone has that power to heal.